whoever's in front of you from a healthcare professional, I really want a team approach. And that team approach is, can I ask questions and be open on that? If you're not gonna have that kind of dialogue, I get it, the doctors only have so much time. You're not trying to monopolize your time on some stupid stuff. But if you go in there and say, hey, really, I want to open minded. I am really motivated. I'm doing X, Y, Z. Let's take a look at my numbers. What are my risk is? That would be a team effort. All right, here we go. Episode 177, Real People, Real Questions, Real Stories. Uh, Welcome back. This is Matt, and I got the big fella off the lake, out of the woods. It looks pretty good for being up in the woods for... How long were you gone? A couple weeks, two and a half weeks. We'll put it at three weeks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Are you counting? You're counting. No, he's he's back. We're at it. Uh, Today... Um, yesterday we launched the 21 day challenge. If you're not familiar with this, it's a challenge that you can do at your own pace. Whenever you sign up, you start for 21 days. One simple rule, eat in the green of the target for 21 days. Uh, what I'd like to tell people, maybe you're not interested. Maybe you're doing it. Encourage your friends, um, invite people. Don't be the food police, but really it's an opportunity that I think using positive, psychology to focus on changing nutritional habits. Um, As a recap, over the last four weeks, we've had some, I think, really solid podcasts. Uh, For the last three weeks, it was myself solo, but we talked about back to school, how to get in a routine, protein, creatine. Um, I think the emotional uh, podcast on why emotions are involved in health is probably our best podcast that I've done. Um, I think you agree to that. So that's a little recap. As always, we're hearing from a lot of you. That's what initiated this conversation today. Real people, real questions, eventually some real stories and testimonials. And so today we're going to kind of go into some opportunities that I think the listeners would have or you have to think through some questions and We get these questions a lot, and they tend to be the same types of questions with different symptoms. My doctor told me that X, and then the story. My doctor says that this will be something I'll have to deal with the rest of my life, story. Family history, it's always been in the family, story. So today we're going to kind of take it, you know, in a couple different directions. We'll talk about acid reflux, blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, atrial fibrillation, calcium scores, ADHD, um, cholesterol. We'll talk about all of these things, but it will be from uh, real people are asking us these questions on a daily basis. And we want to give you some, some real questions that people have, some real answers that we give. And to start today, we're not your doctor. We're not pretending to be a doctor. But these are some ways that you can have control in your health, and I think it begins by asking these really good questions. So, Dad, welcome back from the forest. You call up north, and uh, let's get into it today. Let's talk with the, the probably most common one you get with the space you're in, the people you work with, 
the age you are, the people you come across, cholesterol. And I sent you an email from one of our customers, one of our followers, that for the last five years has been struggling to get the right answers, but she continued to ask the right questions. Let's start with her today and kind of take us on this journey and how it could apply to everybody listening. Well, I just, you'll see it coming out relatively soon, but I wrote a blog, Don't Be Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf, and that's cholesterol. And so the first thing that I think everybody has to understand, and we've been talking about this for quite a while in our podcast, but you have to be more of an informed consumer, whether it's in politics or finance or whatever it is, you need to be more informed. And nobody's going to take better care of your health than you are, but you want to surround yourself with health professionals that you can actually work as a team. And so that's what I've seen out there recently. It's not a team anymore. You're kind of on an island. And so I'll ask questions. Did, did you ask your doctor this? Did, what did your doctor say? You know, so again, as you said at the very beginning, we're not your doctor, but at the same time, you got to be more informed and ask those questions. So the first thing I always do when I get a cholesterol is my doctor wants to put me on a statin med. That's, that's the question we get. And again, we kind of do the disclaimer, but from there, then I start asking better questions. So tell me about your cholesterol. Well, my cholesterol is 243. It's high. What's your HDL? What's your risk? We now we start going into risk. And so they might know their cholesterol is 243 and the doctor's flagging that you're on a statin med, whatever. Reality is, is that you want to look at some of your, the balance of your cholesterol. So we go into what is cholesterol? Cholesterol is incredible. Helps hormones, transports vitamins and minerals, makes the myelin sheath, every cell membrane in the human body, makes your sex hormones, the list goes on about what it is. And so the question you got to ask is, number one, cholesterol is not bad. Cholesterol makes life. So step number one, we have to change beliefs and ask better questions around cholesterol, what it is. And then from there, we have to understand what our risk is. If cholesterol is really good, then why do we want to lower it? Well, we've been taught forever that high cholesterol levels cause heart disease. In reality, that's not true. So you have to break down that path. And then from there, we go into the risk. And the risk is, what is your HDL to cholesterol ratio? So if your cholesterol is 243 and your HDL is 80, your ratio is right around 3. So for men, that number needs to be 4.5 or less. And women, it needs to be 3.5 or less. So step one, right out of the chute, your high cholesterol, your cholesterol overall is high in balance, which is what you want. You live longer if your cholesterol is higher in balance. All right, let's pause right there. Why would I, as the patient, have to know all this information? Well, if you don't understand your risk, you're going to be put on it. You're going to be walking out the door with a statin med for many people, unless you, and many of our, as you know, many of our listeners have really been going in with a lot of these questions. So you need to go in and prepared. That's why. I, in the Rusty Moo book, I spent quite a bit of time in chapter 31 and 32 educating the consumer on this because this is the question we get every day. And even with that being said, many people don't have the book or they haven't read the book or whatever it might be, but we go back to the same stuff we're talking about over and over. And number two, again, I'm just going to throw one more thing out and we'll back up. But what is your triglyceride to HDL ratio? So your triglyceride, let's just say your triglycerides are 150. 
and your HDL is 50, you're going to have a ratio of 3. Now, ideally, you want that number under 2 and get closer to 1.5. You're exactly right. Why would I need to know all this stuff? Yeah, it's like, you know. It's so confusing. If I was going to buy a car and someone starts to talk to me about the engine, it's like my eyes start to get right, glazed you're over. Right, glaze right over. Because it's not, I don't know it, I don't care, just where do I put the gas into the... Correct. With health, though, really motivate the listener for a second on why if they don't do it, nobody else is going to. Well, this morning I was listening to the podcast in the 21 Day Challenge, and one of the things you said, which really sums it up, is we're going to teach you how to fish. We're not going to tell you, you know, here's the fish. We're going to teach you how to do it. That's the problem with diets. There's no, there's, there's, you follow this plan and you don't know anything about that. It's no different in our health. You don't need to know this today or tomorrow. That's why we always open our lines up that, hey, call us. Yeah, and it's interesting when you talk about fishing. Um, we went fishing this weekend. I really just want you to give me the fish, show me the fish, because I'm not passionate about it. It has no, it has no, there's no why in my life to fish. But again, I think the listeners, everybody, I think everybody has a passion and purpose for their health at different levels. You know, different things motivate us in different ways, but, and some people choose to, and some people don't choose to. But again, I think the, if you're listening today and you're like, I want to have control of my health and I want to have my most optimal health, I, I do think this is a little bit of a opportunity to invest uh, in that great asset. So I'm, as I'm looking through this amazing email from this woman who's been following us for years and we've been coaching her and guiding her and this is three, three to five years in the making of asking questions, continuing to be patient. If she gave up after the first conversation, she would continue to be on a statin medication. She would then tell her friends why she's on a statin medication. And, and that's what happens is it just continues this game of telephone of, well, it's my age, it's my risk. And let me take you through what happened here. So she meets with her primary care physician. Very common thing to do. We all have our primary care physician, not necessarily a specialist or their cardiologist, but the primary care. And, and we she, highly recommend you having a primary care physician. Right. Well, she's been asking questions for so many years, asking us questions, doing all the, the right things. She's coming back. Her blood work's looking good. And she goes in and she says, I've done some research and it sounds like my triglycerides to HDL ratio are perfect. My cholesterol to total cholesterol is in line. And she asked a question, what's my risk? And this primary care physician, according to her, said that she doesn't disagree. But she still encourages her to be on a statin. Explain to me how this is possible. So now a primary care physician is aware of the newest research around cholesterol, that it's not the cause for cardiovascular incidences, yet she's still in her beliefs of the education she's been taught, it doesn't really have any side effects. And so you might as well still be on it. Well, again, you've heard this for many years. Many doctors want to put it in the water. So the challenging thing is, is yes, everything has a cascade of a side effect or an effect. Let's just talk about an effect. And that effect will affect your brain, will affect your connective tissue, will affect your liver. I mean, it's, it will have an effect. 
Now, if you go down the path five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, you're definitely going to have an effect. Hard to measure, hard to see, hard to predict, right? But in the short term, why not? Why not just take something to lower your cholesterol? When reality is, to go back to the first thing we talked about is what is cholesterol? What does it do? Why does the body make it? I mean, I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day, and you know, growing up, if your tonsils were enlarged, you would have them taken out. When reality is, we now know the tonsils are so effective for the immune system. Or like today, we take the gallbladder out. You have a problem with gallstones, you take the gallbladder out. In reality, is you're probably going to have type 2 diabetes 10 years down the road because the gallbladder is directly related to the pancreas. So you can see how this starts to roll if you don't put your if you don't put the hand up and say, hey, wait a minute here, I'm not at risk. So if I come in and I have somebody that's completely out of risk, their triglyceride to HDL ratio is crazy bad, their HDL total cholesterol is way out of line, their lifestyle is horrible, they're not going to change a thing, then that person might want to be on some medication. So again, from the physician's standpoint, who is in front of me? How motivated are they? What are they going to do? Right. And so, and I only have X amount of minutes to visit. Right. And that's could, and that's going to be that's the dilemma. That's going to be eighty to ninety percent of their patients. Correct. Yeah. So we're talking about the ten percent. Talking 20%, about you, yeah. the listeners, right the listeners here. today. That's taking time out of their day to understand what can they do for their health. So let me go keep going down, and then we'll go into some other questions, but. She wasn't getting the answer she wanted. So then she ended with, um, you know, I'd like to get my calcium stress test measured to see if there's plaque just to go further. And um, then she said, you know, go see a cardiologist, get that ordered. And she, her parting words were, he's going to agree that you should be on a statin medication. Well, here, here's the sum of the story. He got the stress test. She wore an EG, did a couple other things. He came back and said she, he doesn't see any need for her to be on a statin. The cardiologist. Cardiologist. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think we hear this information. Let's just say we go into primary care. We're asking really good questions. Again, we can't blanket over. We got to do some actions. We got to take some steps. We got to talk about the things that we're doing. Um, but in the same network of providers here, this primary care was belief system was this cardiologist going to say the same thing. And the reality is she was wrong. Well, and the other thing too, none of the, there's no such thing as an exact science. So when I hear this, oh, the science says this. No, the it's the proof is in the pudding. So we have to step back for a second and say, wait a minute here. Um, I have a really close friend of mine that had AFib, and unfortunately, his cardiologist wanted to put him on a, you know, some type of blood thinner, and he's going to be on his blood thinner for for life. And so he's talking to me about this. I said, well, you need you need to get um, some different counsel. So he goes and sees another cardiologist, and the cardiologist looks him in the eye and says, hey, you know, tell me what your workouts look like. How do you eat? How do you do this? Whatever. You're not the normal person. Here's my protocol. I'm going to put you on a blood thinner for three weeks, and we're going to get you off that blood thinner in three weeks. And this is what you need to do on my end. You know, you're dehydrated. You're doing this. We need to do other things so you don't, it doesn't happen to you anymore. And then he says to me, I can't really say this to you. Um, he shuts his door, and then he says, I wouldn't be on, you know, if I was in your situation, you don't need to be on a blood thinner more than, you know, three weeks. That's the protocol. But then he says, now most of my day, 95% of my clients, that's not what I would recommend because they're not going to work out. They're not going to eat right. 
They're not going to do all the stuff that they're doing. They're severely overweight. So you can see the challenge, but you got to step back and say, <coughs> who's in front of me? What are they interested in? And that's why we wanted to have this podcast because we have so many people asking the same thing over and over. Reality is you, you don't need to know everything, but you need to know enough to have a good conversation with your with your doctor, and then if you're not getting what you want, then you need to really start searching like anything else. And I think to to end this story, the key is curiosity. Because if you go in and ask the questions that we're telling you to ask, and you're close-minded to their answers too, there has to be some ebb and flow. You have to kind of know the situation, kind of frame the question in the right way where it's not too defensive or too offensive. And and so, again, this was a great real story uh, Based on real question, she's now offered stat medication, working with the right counsel, doing some of the great things in, in low risk. But she and- had to really be forthright in what she wanted. And I think that's the ending of this little story, is that you have to really, th- number one, you want to go in and say, hey, listen, I want to have whoever's in front of you from a healthcare professional, I really want a team approach and that team approach is, can I ask questions and be open on that? If you're not going to have that kind of dialogue, I get it. The doctors only have so much time. You're not trying to monopolize your time on some stupid stuff. But if you go in there and say, hey, really, I want to have open-minded. I am really motivated. I'm doing X, Y, Z. Let's take a look at my numbers. What are my risk is? That would be a team effort. And as the cardiologist came back and said, hey, in the big picture here, you're not a candidate for a statin med. In fact, we believe nobody's a candidate for a statin med unless they've had a heart attack. Yeah, and so then one one other piece, you may not realize this, but at the end of the day, we need cholesterol. This isn't something that we should take lightly, and you may not know that, and so that's part of the conversation. But those are the two things when you're looking at cholesterol. What is your total cholesterol to HDL ratio? That's one. Number two is what is your triglyceride to HDL ratio. And again, that's on our Know Your Numbers handout. So if people don't have that, you just give this to your doctor. This is an easy out. I want all these tests. If you can get those two numbers and they look good, you're probably not even close to have a being a candidate for a statin med. So those are the two simple blood tests that really show a lot. Without getting your particle size or your calcium score, all sorts of other things you can do down the road. All right, so you kind of got into AFib. We, you get this question, we get this question a lot more than ever before. My first question to you is, why is there such an increase in atrial fibrillation? So I always go back to the beginning. There's so many people have AFib, they don't know what it is. So you need to understand what is cholesterol, what does it do, what is AFib? It's atrial fibrillation. So the heart has basically its own way. It has cardiac cells that beat for you, which is really cool. But when the body gets out of rhythm, the atrial versus the ventricles will contract on their own. So it's not necessarily life-threatening initially, but it could be down the road. Ventricle fibrillation is they got a shock, you're going to die. So atrial fibrillation... So we is, don't see much V-fib. <laughs> you don't see it. People don't live long unless you have a defibrillator because that will shock you back into normal rhythm because the heart's electrical. 
So AFib is very common, but it's not normal. Very common. Very common, especially in 50 and 60-year-old men and women. Not normal. But not normal. But you've been doing this for 35 years. How much atrial fibrillation did you deal with 25 years ago? Well, people are living a little bit longer, not much longer, but they're living a little bit more. But what you're seeing more and more is all the stuff that they're doing. Atrial fibrillation is very common when people are dehydrated, it, is it especially a, if it, people are fit. Is it a, this trickle-down effect? Is it coming from other medications? can be. Poten- potentially? It can be. It can be because, again, back to pH balance, you know, electrolytes, potassium, magnesium, this is, remember, the heart's electrical. So if the heart gets out of balance with electrolytes, that's what they're called, electrolytes, then you can have a problem. And so too much alcohol, too much caffeine, stress has never been higher. These things can all trigger it. Tobacco used to be a big deal. But a big one is dehydration and electrolyte imbalances. So the first thing I always talk to people who have AFib is tell me about what you drink. So let's go back to that. So if AFib is so common, it's a fibrillation of the the heart and we know that it's caused a lot by dehydration and electrolyte imbalances it sounds pretty preventable very preventable how about reversible very reversible and so on tv you see medication after medication client after client person after person telling you you know they have atrial fib now they're on a medication doing fine i mean you could get an ablation that puts you back in the sink that happens occasionally. That's the beautiful of medicine. You can get some of that stuff. Um, but for many people, you know, it's always back How much to, does that cost? It's, it's, it's a fair amount of money, thousands of dollars. You're, you're going into the hospital and you're, you know, you basically stop the heart. So, so the, the kind of the protocol right now is if you're having atrial fibrillation, you're going to go on a medication. What's that medication? Well, initially, they might monitor you for a little bit and see what it is. Most people, when they have AFib, they recognize it. Their heart's beating really fast, and everybody's using the whoop or the aura rings or whatever. They're seeing this stuff. It's showing up more than ever because now they're aware of it. A lot of people are like, I don't know. They just don't. But they're really aware of that. But anxiety we're seeing today and all the stress is a huge trigger. Because, again, back to the sympathetic nervous system. So when the sympathetic nervous system is going crazy, of course your heart's going to change and you're going to have all that. And then back to pH balance. We don't talk enough about that. The pH is too acidic. You're going to flush out your minerals. So hence, I'm flushing out magnesium, flushing out potassium, flushing these things out. Now the body's going uncle, and now I'm having a symptom. So the body's talking back, and one of the symptoms is AFib. And one of the common medications they put you on right away is a blood thinner because they're worried about people having possibility of stroke. And so, so what's the blood thinner going to do for my AFib? It's going to l- decrease the risk of having a, a side effect of like a blood clot or you know something that could cause something to have a, a heart so, issue. So it's really not even going close to the source. Not really the fixing cause. the source. And then you can get into antiarrhythmic type of medications, which is a whole nother ballgame. Beta blockers. You're just getting some powerful stuff. So that's the normal protocol initially is they're going to watch it. They're going to have you cut back on your caffeine or whatever. But reality is not really, let's really focus on your hydration. 
Let's really focus on getting your pH more alkalized. Are you intermittent fasting and not eating the right foods? There are you, you go. Are you over-exercising, under-exercising? Are you sleeping? Are you anxious? Are you like I, I was just on a phone with a guy the other day, and he's 62 years old, super motivated, and he has AFib. And he was told he can't consume vitamin K anymore, no more greens, because they got him on a blood thinner. They got him on Coumadin. Powerful, powerful blood thinner for AFib. So then we go into the other thing. I said, have they talked to you much because they put him on a blood pressure medication on top of that? He says, yeah, my blood pressure runs hot in that. I said, so, he goes, but I work out super hard all the time. I'm like, wait a minute. Why are we working out super hard? What do you mean? I said, well, we need to get you to be more on the chill side. We don't need you to go more redlining. We need to, has anybody talked to you about, you know, diaphragmatic breathing and quieting the mind and maybe uh, restorative movements versus this pedal to the metal workouts, right? So he's doing the opposite of what he should be doing. But nobody ever told him that. Nobody ever talked to him about breathing. Nobody talked about, and he said some, some of the stuff that I talked to him about to his doctor, and his doctor says, that will never change anything. And I said, well, you got, your right, you got the wrong doctor. So, yeah, I think you said that you can never change your blood pressure. Yeah, you those. can't change your blood pressure by changing how you breathe. I'm like, well, I don't know what, what planet you're from, but, you know. So, so again, back to you can see where, the, where this starts to roll, I got AFib, I need to get, well, wait a minute. We need to che- learn, help you learn how to calm down because this guy's a super type A personality. You need to change your workouts. You need to change your breathing. You need to change your food because he's a super high protein guy. So your body's already acidic. You're not doing enough of this. You're not eating fruits. So you can see how it starts to roll. And nobody's ever talked about this, but here's the medication. Again, this is where I come in again. And why do you need to know this? Again, one of the things is I'm, getting motivated and inspired personally that of why would I ever want to go down this route? You know, why would I, but also I could see someone that's going down the route and all the things that they think about that they're doing wrong or should change or could change or the lifestyle parts that they like and the things that they have to sacrifice. Again, you don't have to do all of them overnight either. You know, you didn't get to where you are overnight and you're not going to get back to where maybe you could go overnight. But I think if you were going to ask us, you can get back to where you want to be probably faster than how long it took you to get to where you are. What I mean by that is we can abuse the body for many, 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 many years. And it doesn't really take that many years to get back to where we want to go. But there is going to be some sacrifices and some changes and some some actions that we have to take. But I think both of us get frustrated with atrial fibrillation because, number one, We're not going to go to the source of the problem. You're going to mask the symptom. You're going to get the thing in alignment. But there's going to be another medication. There's going to be another symptom that shows up. It could show up as something as crazy as your hormones. It could show up as something in your digestive tract of, oh my gosh, now all of a sudden I'm I'm more sensitive to this nutrient. Or I get a test and I'm allergic to these kinds of foods. Or I'm not sleeping. Or my exercise, I don't feel like I can catch my wind. It won't be very crystal clear. And it won't necessarily have a cause and effect of knowing exactly what you did to cause that. When we don't go after the source of it, you know, if our electrolytes aren't going to get re-imbalanced. We don't still get enough magnesium. Um, that's where we start to see. And I, I think a lot you're making the right. The point is that we're going to throw a lot of information at you, but at the same time, you know, step one is self-awareness, and we start asking curiosity. These good questions, you step step back and say, why do I have AFib? The body is telling me something's out of balance. 
if my cholesterol is out of balance, what's going on? Whatever it is, the body's talking back, but then we don't, we're not going after that. The answer with AFib is, hey, tell me a little bit about your lifestyle. What's your lifestyle look like? I'm going to show you two nervous systems. You got the gas and you got the brake. Well, I mean, you could go right to, nobody's, you know, when you talk about mental health, I think we isolate it as just the brain. And then when you start thinking about it, well, if, if anxiety is up, 40 plus million, and atrial fibrillation's up, I don't know. I'm not a, a statistician, but I can tell you that if you were anxious and you weren't necessarily anxious 10 years ago, you're probably going to have some electrical imbalances with your heart because that nervous system is running. It's going crazy. Yeah, all it's, got, it's got some circuit issues. Yeah. So again, th- that's the point today. You don't need to know everything. But when you start saying, well, wait a minute. And that's the pro- That's kind of the problem that we've talked about. You know, you had uh, Jill on here from Peak Performance talking about the, the system. We, a lot of people are focused on isolation. So if they're a cardiologist or specialized in the heart, they're going to know that in and out. But if they don't really have the training necessarily maybe of how the brain connects <laughs> to the heart or how to quiet the mind or breathing techniques – there's a disconnect because they're not going to ever look at the full picture because they've never been exposed to the full picture. And I think, too, again, that's why, you know, when I wrote the Rusty Moo book, I wanted to have kind of a guide that people could look at and ask these questions to their health professionals. When you go in, have that curiosity like a, a first grader. Say, hey, tell me how breathing can affect my heart, my blood pressure, a resting heart rate. Well, we, how about this? We know when we're stressed, so more breaths per minute, less oxygen, we have muscle tension. The heart's a muscle. So you're going to have some contraction happening, whether that's around the muscles, the heart's, things are going to get tighter. Blood pressure is going to go up. Heart rate is going to go up. Blood pressure, uh, you know, doesn't have a chance to relax. Well, and again, many people have said before they've been rushed to the hospital because they think they're having a heart attack and they have an anxiety attack. Mm. So how does that happen? What, it, it, again, people don't really understand the power of the whole mind and body, how it's Connect. all connected. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a good one. Atrial fibrillation, ask some really good questions. A couple of things that, you know, got to drink more water, got to balance the pH, make sure you're getting magnesium, if anything. Make sure you're eating foods high in magnesium. Uh, looking at your exercise, maybe you're exercising too hard. You know, as an exercise physiologist, a lot of people, when they get into exercise physiology, don't think about the effect of too much exercise. Well, exercise physiology, the, the bottom line in it, you're speeding the body up so you see a lot more. So as you speed everything up, you see so much more. That's the science behind it. It's like a sports car. You go faster. Yeah. So you start seeing how the wheels work and how the bo- you know, organs work and everything else. So. But again, I think for the listeners and the viewers, we want to make sure that if you have AFib or you have cholesterol issues, whatever, just step back for a second and say, hey, what is this and why? And again, when you start investigating this, it's always, I mean, if somebody has a kidney issue, you can tell right away it's what they're drinking too much alcohol, too much energy drinks, soda pop, caffeine, lack of water, too much protein powder. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. When you start investigating that versus, hey, you know. Yeah, we're not a mind reader. It's just, it's patterns. And their patterns are similar and the body responds in different ways. So some might show up in the cholesterol, 
low testosterone, could be atrial fibrillation, but at the end of the day, it comes back to these lifestyle choices, and that's why they're lifestyle medications for the most part. What's interesting, sometimes I'll listen to Dave Ramsey's podcast, and he's got the, you know, the seven baby steps, and it always gets back to you know, the baby steps, and this is what we're talking about. The baby steps is you ask better questions, you have to have a help, you have a have to have a team around you, and you need to be adamant about that right away. Like, hey, is my health professional with me, or maybe this is going to be an uphill battle the whole time? Yeah, and there's if, there's so many options, and there's so many great health professionals out there. So. All right, last one, and this one kind of is a little bit off the cuff. So I was speaking to uh, a bunch of teachers, administrators through the month of August um, in Michigan. I did a bunch of schools and, and kind of kind of a soft spot between law enforcement and teachers and, and schools and education systems. They need a lot of work, under stress, you know, more, not enough resources, a lot of, a lot of challenges. But in the presentation I was giving, I talked about my experience with ADHD and how for from K through 12, and you could probably tell the listener better than me as you watched, I was always told that I couldn't pay attention, couldn't sit still, had ADHD, need to go on medications, and I never went down that path. That's a whole different podcast. But what I said in that presentation is I understand that what I'm about to say is a grenade in the room of educators. And what I said is, focus is a skill, not a pill. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up. So I got a, a couple of teachers to send me a note and said, hey, what's the protocol for ADHD? And I could see on the faces of many of these educators that I don't believe you because they've tried things. A majority of their kids that they work with uh, or that are struggling are going to have some of these symptoms. But when the lady uh, reached out to me, one of the teachers reached out to me, and I sent her the blog that I wrote on it with the protocol, I also responded that this isn't for everybody because you got to do the work. And the parents have to believe that this is an opportunity. And it doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't solve itself overnight. And for me, K-12 through struggled, did a couple things, but it really wasn't until college that I would say I developed the skills for it. Most people aren't going to wait K through 12 to, to get those types of levels. But I, again, this is where the questions continue to have to happen. So if you have a child, let's just say you have a third grade child that you're working with, or maybe it's your, your child that has ADHD, the first thing that I would look at is what they're eating. Because we know that the gut is connected to the brain and the food you put in the body is going to make the gut healthy or unhealthy. I think everyone would probably say a third grader probably has room for improvement with their nutrition. But then you're thinking, well, if, if they just eat better for a week, are they going to get better? It's not that simple. But it also is that simple. The, the body is magical if you give it the right environment. And it also is going to talk back to us if we don't have the right environment. So I think that's another opportunity. ADHD to me is, is something that I'm passionate about because I see a lot of parents saying, you know, I'm just trying to help my kid, you know, so I'm giving them medication. And I see the kids looking for the, you know, the opportunity to focus better and do better in school and have better conversation. Maybe it's athletically or 
again, I, I continue to see us going in the wrong direction. A stat came out that majority of uh, ADHD medication is abused. So the most of the people that are prescribed to... <laughs> Thanks, Siri. No. So I apologize for that. That was Suri trying to listen to our conversation and tell me what ADHD was. But my point with all of this is exercise, the food you put in your body, the other medications that you're consuming, are you getting enough sleep? This is what's going to give us focus or help us focus better. And then at the end of the day, some people are designed to sit in a classroom and pay attention. Some people aren't. And that's, that's where it gets very gray. Well, and I think some of the things, like it was interesting this past weekend. So we have your three kids up north. And when we go outside and play and they're exhausted, they are ready for bed they're not, it's, again, it's not easy to do. When we take away movement from our kids, there's nothing worse. So when the kids are hydrated and their kids are eating, you know, better food and they're moving a little bit, again, they're kids. So I think that's the challenge. Again, medications could fit a role. We're not saying that in all cases, but reality is we're not starting with a big one. Omega-3 fats are huge. I mean, the cod liver oil is such a big deal for brain health and ADHD. So again, before we go down any of the path, whether it's cholesterol or AFib or whatever it is, sleep is a big deal. Why are we not sleeping? I know myself personally, when I'm active and really, especially when I'm up north and I'm out in the woods and doing all sorts of stuff, I have no problem sleeping. It's almost impossible to not be able to sleep, yeah. We want water skiing, you know, you, you run around, you play with the kids. I mean... Yeah, if you, if, you put your, if you dropped your phone in the lake and you moved outside and you ate foods that have one ingredient, you, you would sleep. And, and I understand from the, you know, the, the educators, it's very difficult. Very you're difficult. Working, you're working with limited resources and things like Some that. Some of the kids come from a broken home or limited resources, maybe have some other... Um, special needs well, there's there's a lot to it my my point with all of it is don't overlook the power of the mind and the body right and i think one of the things we've done before you've done this i've done this but i've done training with i i did some training with this woman in new york area and she was an assistant principal and anyway became a superintendent so what they instilled is they started every morning with breathing exercises through the entire school system. And she said the feedback was just incredible, that every teacher was spending, you know, one minute on breathing exercises every morning, and they all felt the same thing, that the kids performed much, much better. And the kids knew after a while, because it wasn't just like, they did it one time, they did it every day. So when I hear something like that, that doesn't cost a dime, it takes a minute or less, that's a skill. And you said that earlier. It's a skill. But we're not taught that skill. We're not taught that skill as adults. You know, for me, many years would work with Dr. Phil Nirenberger. I kept hearing him talk over and over, and these guys would come up to me afterwards and say, hey, is he going to talk about anything else? I said, no, because he's trying to teach you a skill that you're not practicing. So yeah, we have these tools. At what to eat in the morning is a skill. 
how to breathe is a skill, moving your body is a skill, and these take skills take energy and effort. They take effort for sure. They're not overcomplicated, but they take energy and effort. And so today we wanted to bring you some real people asking us real questions. And, you know, as we end, we're seeing a lot of really amazing testimonials and success stories. And again, back to those baby steps that lead to tremendous outcomes. One of the I'll, I'll mention too at the end here, we have a couple new blogs coming out that's going to go on more into the weeds. So if you look for those, we have one on cholesterol, type 2 diabetes. I'm going to be bringing more of these blogs, AFib. They're all coming. But uh, check out the, those are coming and they've been written. We're just polishing them right now. So as he comes back from the woods, he's ready to to publish some of these uh, <laughs> blogs. Do some, do some work. I wrote these when I was up north. So, yeah, thank you uh, for listening. Again, send us any of your questions. This is not only how I believe that you can get some better answers, but we, as we can share these with the community, I think everybody is, is starting to have similar if questions. if they want to learn more, if they do not have the Rest, Eat, Move book, but everything we're talking about is in Chapter 31 and 32 in that book. So Yeah, and that comes with the audio book. So if you don't like to read it, don't have time to read it. And so enjoy, continue to ask really good questions. And as you've always said, the question reveals the answer. We'll see you again next time.